Welcome to Monstrology, the only podcast where if you're on a derelict ship in deep space, no one can hear you scream. I am Will King, and I am joined, as always, by Madrin McCabe. And we are doing, uh, for the second time, a very special episode of Monstrology. Yes, this is a creature feature. Um, I'm pretty excited about it, Madrin. The creature feature is a fun time. I'm I I'm so stoked. I love this franchise so much. It I did not see it like when I was young. I saw it as an adult and just mm-hmm. absolutely fell in love with it and watched everything that was in this. And it's actually like it was kind of a formative thing early on in my relationship with my husband. Mm-hmm. Like he came to realize, wait, well, like you haven't seen these movies? Oh, these movies are great. We should watch these things. And so that was kind of like an early bonding experience was experiencing these movies for the first time mm-hmm. and realizing like, oh, we are, a, you know, we are like-minded people. We should continue to hang out together. Nice. Yeah, I feel like I came to horror films maybe just like as a genre, like five or six years ago, just watching a bunch of stuff. Because uh, I didn't really watch them when I was a kid or even like a teenager. It was just kind of like a later phase. But I loved the very first one and the sequel. But the very mm-hmm. first uh, film, I'm trying to say this without spoiling the franchise. Got to keep the bit alive. Um, is <laughs> is the crossover film um, that mm-hmm. I watched with my friends when I was like maybe 12 or something. So my first uh, encounter with this franchise is not even really of the franchise, which is kind of cool. Um, and this franchise too is one of those things where like people, I, I you know, I always said, oh, I don't like horror movies. Mm-hmm. But what I really have come to realize is that I don't really like gory slasher movies. Mm. Like, like in my mind that, you know, those ones where it's just a whole bunch of blood and guts and it's just like pain porn over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Like I always thought that that is what people referred to when they said horror movies. Mm-hmm. And then again, as I get older and I watch movies and I talk about how much I love them and then people like you will just be like, yeah, I love the horror genre. This is such a great entry into that. And I'd be like, oh, wait, this counts as horror. Oh, yeah. I guess I do love horror movies. I feel like oh, it's a okay. lot. Why- yeah, <laughs> I think that's a really good way of looking at it too like i definitely wasn't into i don't know the torturous elements of it like saw but at the same time i think maybe as i get older too i can look at something like you know the script for saw and be like wow this is really smart like the way that you put this together is very interesting so i can appreciate that almost like a story-wise like technical element But it's just like the gore and stuff that maybe kind of gets to me. Yeah, when I hear people who are into those slasher movies talk about why they like them and you can see the the enthusiasm, like I can appreciate that it is an art form. I guess it's the And that there are good executions of it. It's just not an art form that's for me. You're not a big body horror fan. That's definitely, yeah, I think maybe that's the distinction is like, I like I suspense. Seen, I, well, I have seen some body horror that I like, but it is it does make you squirm in a very different way. Anyway, this franchise, I feel like <laughs> one of the things that makes it great, especially as I did a like straight up movie marathon this week, catching up on a lot of the entries that I hadn't seen, it, it starts with that kind of like minimalism, but it really hits so many different versions of horror depending on the film that you're watching. And I think that they're they're all effective in their own way. I think the tightest and best executed are the first two um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah there's a lot to offer here and i think the franchise is really rich um almost as rich 
as the eggs I ate this morning. And as I looked <laughs> inside the eggs, I was worried that something was going to pop out and um, latch itself onto my face. It did not. It was, in fact, just a normal egg, which was good. And I enjoyed eating my breakfast and I prepared further for today's episode because today's episode is all about the franchise called Alien. franchise we are covering is alien we were basically talking about it i figured we had to get going so you're all smart gonna... enough i think I you was... figured it out yeah you saw it in the title um <laughs> so, um this is an interesting franchise because it it doesn't feel like i was talking to you imagine about this a little bit before we started like there are certainly influences that went into creating the film um but I feel like when we did Star Wars, we had a massive, I like I had a huge list of influences and it was a bit harder to find the lead for Alien. Um, there's a couple of things that I think I'll focus on, but I think really they just wanted to make a different type of alien horror movie, almost like Cabin Fever style of not getting out. And they knew that no one else had really quite done what they uh, wanted to do. Like I know that one of the producers basically said like, I came up with this idea that somebody was like basically forcefully impregnated by an alien and then it was burst, uh, birthed through their chest and we realized no one had done that before and so we should be the ones to do it. And I think that's kind of, I mean, that's obviously a huge oversimplification, but that's where the idea came from, I guess. And it's true that I think Alien is a really great entry into this, like the science fiction universe because there was nothing like it at the time. It was its own kind of like tone and world and execution that I hadn't seen before. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. And like I, when I started researching for this episode, I in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, Alien came out in like the 80s, right? And then uh, in researching it, the first one came out in 1979. This mm -hmm. is a 43 year old movie. And in my mind, I'm like, no, it can't be that old because it's still so everything about it is still so good. This, mm -hmm. the script is really tightly done. The special effects are incredible yes. still like the to production. watch it. The, the production values on it are insanely good. And even now, like, you know, looking back on it and it has, you know, our, we want to talk about the stereotype of the strong female lead, but mm -hmm. really Ripley, I don't think fulfills that. She's not a Mary Sue in any way. It just, uh, uh, she just happens to be a woman who makes some good decisions and takes charge when necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually really hard to find a movie like that that's written like that now where people either forget that women are capable people and it's it's always an entirely male team or 
there there seems to be this shoehorning in of like, oh, we have to make a, you know, trademark strong female, you know, capital mm-hmm. letters, strong female lead for it's this. Funny. And then they end up writing kind of a cartoonishly out of unrealistic woman instead. I think what she gets to be, which is awesome, is <laughs> there's a certain pessimism. I don't know if it's from the direction of the script, really, of like, all these guys are idiots, but she's not. And she's constantly aware of like, everyone around her is an idiot. Right. And so it gives her strength just from her own awareness of like the crew's ineptitude um, that like carries through the whole franchise. Right. Yeah. Like there even there comes a point in that first movie where they realize like at that point, the xenomorph has become fully formed and has taken over the ship. And uh, everybody else is like, we got to get out of here. We got to do this. And she very calmly is like, I'm with you. Like, I also would very much like to leave here. Mm -hmm. However, I recognize that that is a very bad idea and we need to kill this thing mm-hmm. because if we leave, we'll be bringing it back with us. Like, right. and and she very methodically is very much like, I feel you. I have those same emotions that mm-hmm. you all do. I very much would like to give into this fear the same way that you all are. Mm-hmm. But the other two are, you know, because she's, th- when the movie starts, she's the third in command. Mm-hmm. She's like, I now am in charge. Mm-hmm. So this is the decision that we are yeah, making. Yeah, she's definitely so, not hysterical. You know, like no. she's very focused and she sees the bigger picture. And even like even um, the other woman character who, you know, a lot of people want to talk about how like, oh, you know, she she's so emotional and she's so, it's so tropey and blah, 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 blah. And that sort of thing. Really, I don't think she's, I think she's just voicing what everyone else is feeling. Like she is just saying out loud, like, this is really scary mm-hmm. and... I don't want to be here anymore and we should just get the hell out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there is like a, um, there's something about, how do I word this? Like, I feel like one of the big themes within a lot of the the films, um, even with some of the ones that are before, like Alien, like Prometheus or whatever, is just that the, the humans are the monsters and they accidentally created things that are wreaking havoc. Like the humans created a lot of these like AI and the AI is now doing things that are even less human and like the aliens are the opposite of that where they like monstrous and they just want to like breed and live like they have a very simple value of just evolving and killing um but she is just a normal human being like she is perfectly in the middle where uh, she keeps trying to like take care of people and take care of the crew and protect humanity and the people who employ her are constantly undercutting her own values by trying to like bring this alien back to earth and it's always the same cycle that exists um where where whoever the crew is on whatever ship it is is desperately trying not to bring this parasitic alien back to earth uh, and she's trying not to do it and the like ai and the mega corporation wants to and they're going to they've gotten so big that they basically doomed their own civilization um so it's just like that yeah and that that is definitely an overarching theme throughout the entire franchise is that you get about two-thirds of the way through the movie and you find out like sure enough the whaling yutani corporation has got their fingers in this Mm -hmm. and they have ordered someone to bring the xenomorph back mm-hmm. to try to turn it into a huge weapon of mass destruction. And of course, because they are safely back on earth and don't actually have to get their hands dirty themselves, they don't really care that of course, every single time somebody tries to go get a xenomorph, 
most of the crew dies horrifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just like a fun tidbit. I was I was like kind of digging through stuff that Ridley Scott said that basically Blade Runner's universe could eventually become the Alien universe too. Like it, it's certainly something that he thinks is a possibility because the original Blade Runner is 2019. And so the first, I think, Alien film in the chronological order, I think is probably prometheus and i think that's a hundred years later which is interesting because those those um i don't know i don't think about them as being prequels but the pre-alien films um are a lot about like ai and the danger of ai and so is in many ways with blade runner too yeah yeah it kind of grows from one like i think and i think also too like the first alien film like the very first one that we saw is supposed is set in the 21st century Mm mm-hmm so it totally like makes not, sense to me it's that it's not that far off from mm-hmm. our own timeline. Especially because we never see Earth, I think, investigated no. until we get to uh, Resurrection, I guess, which is the very, very end. And it doesn't look yeah. um, anything like we recognize it to be. Yeah. Um, and you can also see, too, like the evolution of it. That makes sense that Ridley Scott thinks that like the, that the Blade Runner world and the Alien world could be one and the same because... Um, of course, like we see how androids are treated mm-hmm. in the Ridley Scott Blade Runner world. Mm-hmm. So of course it then it's like, oh, okay, we're then the natural progression of what they do with androids later in the alien universe. Mm-hmm. Also that tracks, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. For today's uh purposes, I feel like we're focusing more on the alien monster than the AI monster. Um yes. But there is a lot of really great, um, you know, a- AI characters that thread throughout almost every film in the franchise, especially the early ones, but even the later ones too. There's good reveals about who's who's an android and who's not. Um, and that kind of like master creator paradise lost thing is definitely threaded out um, throughout Prometheus. And as somebody who just watched those two films in preparation for this, Prometheus and covenant like michael fassbender is so good especially in in covenant he plays another version of the ai that is like an evolution of that same ai that's been adjusted to be more um human in a way like they've taken away his creativity because the original version david and prometheus has too much creativity and therefore like has too much belief in itself and like wants to be this kind of master and creator um and it's cool to see him play both sides. Anyway, I just thought he was so good. Well, it was also like, it's been a long time since I've seen Prometheus. I, I saw it when it first came out and I have not seen it since. But doesn't he also play two very different versions of uh, of a, an AI character in that one as well, too? Like, basically, there's like the good version and the evil version. Well, there's David, who is yeah. the, who is the main... Um... I mean, you kind of see two different sides of him. It's like kind of the corruption of him because he's created um, basically to be the very first like proper AI, but he has like this love of literature and classical music. And like, he's almost this like, I don't know, there's a danger to the fact that he thinks he has so much, I don't know, culture in a way like that he deserves. He has more than a human could ever soak up. Therefore he knows better than the average human does. So they have to tone that down um mm-hmm. later on i'm gonna look up the name of the 
Oh, Walter. So Walter's the name Walter. of the one that they use in Covenant. And oh. basically, like, he is more of, like, a soldier. But there is a nice interaction between the two of them where you can tell, like, Walter is the superior soldier, but it's, like, the creativity of David is the problem. And it really, in many ways, the, the, I would say that, like, Ripley from Alien Forward is obviously the glue, but David is the glue for those films. And hopefully if if um, Disney hasn't ruined it, then we'll get one more from that like Fox universe that, that Ridley Scott was making because it feels like they didn't quite get to finish what they were going at. Um, but anyway, back to the beginning of the Alien universe. <laughs> and, like, the to roots. the aliens I feel like themselves. We've talked a lot about like the glue of what makes an alien film, which I think is important because they, they have a lot of tropes that appear throughout. But um, one of the core things that really made the alien the alien was H.R. Uh, Geiger, who is a Swiss mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, artist, came up with the image of the alien because they discovered his work. Like the, it's in a book called the Necronomicon, but there's Necronom four and five, and it looks a lot like the alien, it, except it's like more phallic. But it's almost this like metalized um, illustration that is really kind of like gothic and cool. But you can tell it is immediately like going to be the basis for the alien. And I yeah, think... when I looked at it, it was also like far more upright. Like yes, um, it also like, has... like it basically almost it was almost like oh, it has human legs with mm-hmm. some augmented features to it versus like the xenomorph that we know from the alien franchises have those like inverted knees, yes. which makes them very like the long, the long head and teeth, that long elongated head, that like super jutting forward exposed chin and the big hollow eye sockets. It's very, 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 yeah. That that is basically the 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 head and the skull are unchanged and there's something about the like uh the color palette that's used for it too like it's this Mm -hmm. dark um almost like sandy gray and um beige that even goes into the art that he designed for like the derelict ship like it's the same continuation of almost like being on the inside of a skeleton um in this almost industrial way it's weird it feels both like uh, maybe biomechanic is the nice way of putting it like this weird overlap of technological yeah it's got a bit of a like bone. future steampunk feel to it his artwork mm-hmm. yeah though i mean let's also major shout out to stan winston mm-hmm. who did because uh, yeah because um hr geiger was he yes he designed the original alien and he did the first one which won him an oscar very mm-hmm. deservedly um but then afterwards he didn't have anything to do with the alien franchise and no. it was stan winston who took uh, over apparently he was um, working on poltergeist 2 yeah and so james cameron was like well i'm not gonna bother him because we're gonna try to do something different which he wasn't thrilled about he like did either. not like that like, work, <laughs> i mean i, I don't on, blame him i think he did work on resurrection and then he did work on Prometheus uh, before he he died. Um, oh, really? So I think he probably would have worked on Covenant too. But it makes sense that like Ridley Scott would want him back, right? Because they worked together on the first one, yeah. and he's trying to reboot the franchise with the same tone that the first yeah. two films had. And so I think I- it totally works in Prometheus too. Like you can tell, it's back to the original kind of imagery and um, world. 
And it would make sense that with Aliens, the sequel, when James Cameron took over as the director, at the time, Cameron was not really a hugely well-established director. The reason that they gave him Aliens was because Terminator happened to be a big hit. Mm -hmm. And Stan Winston was the design, he did the design for the Terminator in the first one. So, of course, then it really makes sense that... James Cameron coming out as still kind of a like sophomore rookie director was like, oh, well, if the original guy isn't around, then I'm going to work with a guy that I do know Mm -hmm. I can work really well with and we can create really great stuff with as well, too. Um, Because what I didn't know is that James Cameron is the one who do who created the alien queen. Yeah. Yeah. in aliens like he created the design for it and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing too and i was like holy cow and what's what i love too is and i will i will i will go on these rants for a really long time and this is probably why most of the movies that i love the most that are in this like sci-fi action world come from the late 80s and the early to mid 90s because that to me was the is the perfect fusion or or the perfect example of creating creatures using animatronics and puppetry Mm -hmm. and just kind of like blurring the edges slightly with the cg that was available at the Mm -hmm. time um because i was reading about how like in aliens um they they created this effect of having the alien queen um impale uh the android character with her tail Mm -hmm. and they actually built like so they built a chest piece for the actor to wear that basically just had like a folded up tail inside it and Uh it was pulled with a string to make it look like her chest or like her tail was bursting through and that they um they created like a fake tail that basically like bumped the actor in the back who was then raised up through guide wires Mm -hmm. while simultaneously this puppet tail was pulled out of Mm -hmm. his chest to make it all look and that they just kind of seamlessly blurred all of that together with lighting and smoke effects and slime and like that's how we they kind of blurred the edges of that and why Mm -hmm. we don't see any of the practical parts of it Mm -hmm. so in in reading about that i was like oh of course this is the guy who then just a couple of years later did jurassic park and made all of those incredible animatronic dinosaurs as well Mm -hmm. like you can see the the footprints of some of his greater achievements in the these first ones too right and so like i'll i'll go on for days about how practical effects are the way to go yeah well Um, i think that's also but again it's like but what we were saying back before is like it is it is surprising and then also not surprising to me that these movies are like 40 you know 45 years old but they still hold up yeah that's what makes them timeless right like it it still works it's not like it's gonna feel dated they've done it in a way where the image will always like carry weight yeah Um, and like my 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 argument is always like yeah in jurassic park they actually threw a jeep at actual stunt actors and that's why it still looks so great Mm -hmm. like i that's uh, that is my that is always my like final argument as to that point it's interesting though that apparently the the one well there's a few films because it was right uh, this film came right after Star Wars in 2001, which you can see a bit of like their footprint on the film. Mm-hmm. But um, the producer, Dan O'Bannon, also made a film called Dark Star in 1974, which is a science fiction comedy film that was directed and produced by John Carpenter. Also love John Carpenter. Um, but it was 
when I looked, I, I have to watch the film, but I was linking the trailer and some pieces of it. It looks like Alien. Like, it seems to be a lot of the same, like, technology they were using for space or, like, the ship. But it was very much, like, just a straight kind of space comedy. And so they came up with it originally, like, I think as a student film that they were working on. And the Alien is just this kind of, like, beach ball that's flying around. And they're, like, very self-aware of, like, what they're doing. Um, but I think after they did that that film, um, or I'll give the blurb of the film. It follows a crew of the deteriorating starship Dark Star 20 years into their mission to destroy unstable planets that might threaten future colonization of other planets. So you can even see in the description of Dark Star that it's kind of alien-y. But yeah. after they did it, they're like, I would love to do that again, but as an actual horror film, because they knew that they had something kind of going on there. And they're like, we need the alien to be a realistic alien, which is what led them to find Geiger. And then when they, like, they, the pieces started to come together and they really liked Ridley Scott's first film, so that they pulled him in there. And then he starts like shaping it into what it became. But you can start to see some of the pieces like coming together to form what it is. Um, so I'd recommend checking out that movie, which I'm going to do. Um, and the only other thing that I, I think we should touch base on, we're talking about like the inspiration and the design, which just, I like to think about like definitions of things, that the word xenomorph comes from aliens and not alien. And even then it's just like time has passed and we all just call it a xenomorph, which is for those who don't know, like the main alien entity in the alien franchise. Um, it's kind of got the distinctive long head, like we were talking about and the teeth and a jaw inside a jaw that spits out sometimes to like kill its enemies. It's also very like, slick and slimy acid blood it's got or acid, acid spit and acid, acid blood spit, yeah. um either a pointy tail or almost like an axe tail later on for swimming etc um but like some fans have complained that basically xenomorph isn't actually the name of the species it's just a fancy word for alien um because it basically combines like two words um, from the Greek xenos, meaning like stranger or foreigner, and morph, meaning form. So it's just strange form, <laughs> you know, or like an alien-shaped thing. Um, but you know what? In the credits for Alien Covenant, which is also by Ridley Scott, he just calls them xenomorphs. So even if it wasn't what he was going for in the first film, clearly he has also embraced it, as has all of the world in the internet. So I think we're good to call them xenomorphs. Um, but it's just funny, right, that sometimes the definition comes from not the fandom, but like a small piece of information that people just run with, especially in the case of Alien, where it is now built into a franchise that has comics and video games and literature and all of this stuff. Like every everything in the world has to be more clearly defined. Um, so you find as many clues as you can that might be buried in the minimalism of a feature film because it can't handle as much lore and keep the action of the film going. Um, but that's where Xenomorph comes from, guys. Um well, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of really tracking the like inspiration and the design of Alien, unless you've got anything else, Madrin, that you would like to add. Um, and we can kind of go into some of the specific like physical and um, vocal and even just like practical effects executions of these monsters. This is an interesting case of a franchise where like not every monster is actually performed by an actor or even voiced by an actor a lot of them are just like very inventive uh literal meat puppets <laughs> um that that have been executed by the director whoever was almost puppeteering it or manipulating it on set um 
Yeah, I have to, I was actually really, I was surprised um, that there was somebody, at least in the first Alien movie, there is someone who is credited as being the actor in the mm-hmm. in the suit. Um, because to, to my mind, I was like, oh, well, it's mostly, like, it's got to be mostly, like, puppetry and visual effects no. and that sort of thing. But I was actually reading that that there was this guy... Uh, I hope I'm saying his name right. His name is Balaji Badeo, um, who was not an actor at all. He no. was just sitting in a bar and the casting team saw him because he was he's naturally six foot ten mm-hmm. and very th- slenderly built to begin with. So he's got these incredibly long arms and these incredibly long legs to begin with. So in the suit, he was seven feet tall standing just mm-hmm. on his own. Um so because of his like his naturally built frame he already in the suit didn't look very human mm-hmm. um so it's just it's interesting that like here's this guy who's just having a drink in a bar and these casting directors come up to him and are like hey you're kind of weird looking want to mm-hmm. be in a movie <laughs> he apparently was uh very like dedicated to the role though um yeah he plays the original alien which people referred to in that film as big chap um that before it started getting there's a bunch of different names for the original alien you can use any of them but that that's what they they talked about when they were on set the first one apparently um he also took tai chi lessons to try to get like a nice focus and also the physicality like when he was preparing with ridley scott he um really wanted there to be like a gliding movement and praying mantis like posture because he thought although it's vicious it's also quite elegant like the way that it moves and that really tracks when you think about how quiet it is when it falls and like the way that it kind of like comes slowly into wherever it's going to like devour often before it does especially in the first film like his actual performance really seeps out through the suit um, yeah. yeah and I think that's and I think that that yeah and that lends I think a lot to the iconic nature of the xenomorph mm-hmm. itself is that um and that's where that's where with those really that's where the the payoff jump scares come from is that for 90 percent of the movie mm-hmm. it's quiet and you can't really see it and it's it's very yeah almost balletic in its movements yeah. until it's not and it pounces and it gets in your face or like you know that face hugger moment or that chest burster moment right and so those that's where it really pays off because you spend so much of the your time thinking oh you know it's such a beautiful elegant creature and then blam out mm-hmm. what's interesting i i saw a quote from ridley scott too that he said basically he wasn't just i'm paraphrasing now but like he wasn't originally interested in horror because it, he always thought it was some guy in a rubber suit like it was always that trope of and we've you know we've talked about this when yeah. we're in like swamp monster episodes like there is a long history of film where the bad guy was always just somebody in this weird abstract it was just suit. this big ugly clunky suit i think yeah. that really explains his take on the minimalism of alien and seeing the alien like the alien in the first film only has about four minutes of total screen time but it's very efficiently used um yes. and it makes sense and it totally works like it helps uh define his tone um and i think especially because there was limitations to it being an actual actor and the way that the suit was constructed wasn't the most malleable um but it works out well for what they needed in the first film um but apparently when they started doing the next film for aliens when james cameron took over they wanted to have a lot more malleability to what um the alien could do 
So basically, they did uh, fit these actors to these flexible latex bodysuits, and then they had a lot of like xenomorph bits affixed on top of it, so that basically the stuntmen playing the creatures could be more agile and aggressive in their movements, which makes sense because basically the second film is much more of an action film. It's, it's very action driven, right? Like yeah, like with the um, uh, like with the space marines and that sort of thing too. It's that it's very much a like, um. Yeah, it 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 it's a an action driven movie versus mm-hmm. a like. I think that um, was a wise decision. And I think too. that yeah, well, and I was gonna say because I think like you, it's it would be very hard to recreate the suspense of Alien in the sequel because mm-hmm. we've already seen how the alien, uh, like in you know implants in people and and how it it impregnates in people and how it hunts and that sort of thing too. So. You, everybody has to step up their game mm-hmm. in the next one, right? Like the way that the alien hunts has to be a little bit more aggressive. And then in the, how they fight back has to be more aggressive as well too. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way to like up the ante of the original film by doing something different. Like they can avoid comparisons by doing a whole new genre, but the the flip side apparently of these suits that were more malleable so that they could do more movement and more fights or whatever is a they were really expensive so they could only make a dozen suits even considering they had a large relatively large james cameron budget um but also that they didn't look as good like the first suit did look better um so what they did is they were really creative with the way that they lit the the xenomorphs like there's a lot of shots where it's just peering out through behind lighting like it's it's not blurry there's but a lot of like never back, fully yeah there are a lot yes. of backlit shots so that you can kind of blur the edges of it or yeah. they they really pulled in tight for certain shots like it's it's a more stylized yeah. um lighting sequence um and i'm sure that they had one that was maybe decked out to be a bit better for like single shots or whatever but um they had to be a lot more creative and i guess they they thought that that trade-off was use it uh worth it so they there's a lot of like strobing lights or like flare um or uh yeah, I mean, even just like they or the alien would move at fast motion going down the walls and through airships and just that they couldn't um, notice the difference. Um, they changed the design a little bit, too. I think the first one had more of like a dome on the head and the second one, like there was something different about the eyes behind the, um, it's not a helmet, but it almost looks like the helmet on the top of its head, like you couldn't see through it quite as much. Um the aliens change depending very much on who the director is, even though there's a similar build to the body. Um, I, I guess it depends on basically what CG they were using or what strategy they were using around the movie changed the alien just a little bit. Um, and depending on where it is within the lore, like I'll get into all the variants basically of the alien, but the first two, apparently the difference between alien and aliens um, was just like practical. And so that there's a lot of people who are on the internet who have been like, justified the difference of like oh maybe this is why it is like because they're they've evolved 12 years later so suddenly uh it can't just be a slimy soft goo it has to be like a stronger like exoskeleton because the alien has evolved and apparently the director's like sure like that makes sense you can believe that but basically for them it was just like that's the way it came out when we made it um but i thought that was cool um there is a lot of other executions that i think are really neat um the the coolest one maybe being um the the face hugger so there's a whole sequence of like i guess the like cast knew 
that the face hugger was going to be somewhat practical, but they didn't tell them what it was. And the interior of the creature is made with fresh shellfish, uh, four oysters, and a sheep kidney. So not does just does it look gross, and it's not CG as we were talking about. Like it's, it's literal meat stitched together by like the the prop maker. It also smells horrible. So when the the cast is looking around and it explodes out of his chest, apparently like it was quite disgusting just to experience. So it's very authentic, like the way that they've reacted to it, and Ugh. like. The sequence itself is such a, a surprise right within the movie. You yeah. have no idea what's coming. It is, you know, extremely iconic. But I think it works because it is literally these these disgusting flaps of meat layered on top of each other. Like the outer skeleton, I think, is is like foam or latex or whatever. But the inner meat, when it flips over and like plops onto the ground or even when they see yeah, because I mean, there the there really is nothing like looking at the you know the inside rib cage of like a crab or a lobster or something like mm -hmm. that and they've definitely managed to capture that yeah, that that's fun that must have been like such a such a visceral set because yeah. uh i was also reading that the fake blood for the androids is milk yeah it looks um, like it and too. they didn't and apparently they were not bothering with like replacing it freshly every day so after uh -huh. like four days of filming it had all gone completely sour and curdled and just oh. smelled absolutely well, horrifying it, I, was, <laughs> I was looking at it and it's funny some like you know when they do commercials for milk oftentimes the milk isn't milk it's glue because glue yeah, it's either looks like better. glue or paint mixed with yeah because it looks other, more like so i was wondering whatever, that yeah. but the fact that it's just like yogurty milk is yeah. also gross because i was wondering how it hit that texture um yeah but apparently it was designed by ron cobb who did the musculature in the bone on the outside of the face hugger and it was yeah foam latex and rubber um and some of it was left unpainted so that it would look like skin and they used little aluminum wires i guess for the face hugger fingers to grip tightly over the face so that it could have little pressure points um which is cool the other one that was really gross um is the giant alien eggs that was apparently like mm -hmm. manipulated by ridley scott himself and what oh. he did uh was uh it was stuffed sheep intestines and uh fat um basically with the the i guess what would it be i guess the other yeah, face hugger inside of it so he's manually pressing up this like fat and intestine uh right to the edge so until it bursts so he could get it just the way that he liked it um but he had rubber gloves and gloves and yeah it's just gross like there's just no other way to emulate that too that is always going to look good like once you have yeah. found out the way that it works with lighting it will always be disgusting and it will always be hard to look at um and i'm sure they had to do a bunch of practicing with it to make sure it's exactly what they wanted but i think that's a really creative way to make your science fiction film that takes place in deep space in the future grounded in reality is to just take living uh, not human <laughs> living um anatomy and and make it work yeah but to like take yeah take things from our existing world that we all know and recognize and then just manipulate it enough mm -hmm. that it, it is no longer exactly the thing that it was but is definitely a recognizable like we all yeah like now that you say that it's like oh i know exactly what that smells like mm -hmm. so like to, to have a face hugger on my face i would know exactly what that smells like i would know exactly how that would feel mm -hmm. well and i know that some of the actors in the original film too said like when you were running from the alien like 
it's scary. Like there's not a lot of yeah. acting involved because there's a full six foot ten guy in in a terrifying suit moving very quickly at you in this like beautiful production design that they've made. And it's just scary to look at. Like it it does, takes a lot of, I mean, I'm sure they're good actors and they could have put the work in, but it helps when you're just looking at a real thing instead of like a blue screen. Like I think of, you know, you and McGregor yeah, like on, you on a many, horse pretending to be many, on a lizard going How many going times through. has Will Smith had to act his butt off because he's just staring at a tennis ball? Yeah. <laughs> pretending like it's a drooling, snarling alien. I've yeah. done a small amount of that and I feel like I wanted to create a little documentary called Acting with an Apple Box because you're just staring <laughs> at the Apple Box being like you're talking to something that doesn't exist and you're doing all of the work and the imagination. And then you see the edit later in post and you're like, okay, I guess, yeah, they made it. It's okay they made it work but it's very yeah strange. i that's funny i recently did a commercial that was basically the same thing where it was just like okay so this is going to be an animated creature so we just need you to pretend that you can see it doing all of, mm-hmm. of these things you really got to trust the editor and like maybe <laughs> maybe it'll work out in editing mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of the time it won't but fortunately yeah. for alien they didn't have to worry it about that totally, because it all yep. totally works um which version of alien 3 have you seen because I saw the one that's now on Disney Plus. Feel free to give me some money, Disney Plus. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the theatrical cut. So there's two versions of where like the like quadruped alien comes from. The one that I saw it comes from a dog, but apparently the one that David Fincher wants is it comes from an ox. Like there's. I've, a... I was gonna say I've seen the cow one. Okay, what is that like? It does it seem practical? Because that's what I'm curious about. Oh, uh, well, it's a cow. It's a real cow. Okay in a slaughterhouse yeah huh. um i mean i'm not uh, hopefully anybody who has seen this movie more recently than i have you can correct me later um to my memory you don't really see the the attack on the cow and the chest bursting mm. through it like you only just see the aftermath afterwards mm-hmm. where it's this like disgusting car uh mm-hmm. you know cow carcass mm-hmm. that they lift up on the like you know those big grow like those big hooks oh, in avatars yeah, yeah, the meat that, hooks. like they pull them up yeah yeah and so like they lift it up and it's it's all been eviscerated and all the guts and everything mm. are spilling out cool that yeah. sounds better than what I got with the dog in the theatrical cut I think they changed it so that it was the dog because the dog belongs to someone so mm-hmm. it's supposed to be more of an emotional investment like he's a pet versus they were gonna kill this cow anyway. Yeah, there's a weird, I can't remember what the line of dialogue is, but he's, there's this guy, it was just like this kind of clunky, warm moment where he's like, what animal would do this to you? And it very clearly feels like, I guess, a little forced. Poor David Fincher. I have to say, I watched Alien 3 and the whole thing, I was just thinking like, you know, I know that he doesn't love that movie in his own yeah. like timeline. And it was one of his first things that he got to do. And he followed it up with Seven. So like, thanks for sticking with it, David Fincher. But like, it was doomed from the start. Like there were so many directors that got no, brought in. No, I was in. reading so about it, but like half the sets were already started, built. They like, started filming before they actually had a completed script. Uh-huh. Um, so things were changing on a near daily basis. Mm-hmm. You can see all over it the interference from the studio. For sure. Like you can see where they have heavy-handed interrupted what was otherwise a, a good story. Mm-hmm. Um and you can see like some of his work, like some of the like David Fincher mm-hmm. precision 
but he is also notoriously a perfectionist, right? It's part of what makes him the way, like if you sign on to his film, you know that you might do a hundred takes of something and be there yeah. for three days, but like, you know that it will be really good in the end and that's what's worth it. But apparently the producers were basically like, yo, you can't do that. Keep moving, keep moving. And yeah. he's just like, I, so this like, is the only way I know how to make yeah. movies. So yeah, I just remember being like, poor guy. Because in theory, I think he made a lot of smart choices. I don't know what they were originally going to do, but the idea that the first Alien is like, basically all takes place in a, a very kind of limited space. Like there is a kind of, as I was saying earlier, like a cabin fever feeling to it. Like you can't escape. You're very um, isolated in that way. The second one is like bombastic, huge action film. It does a lot of like, you know, um, pyrotechnics of guns and weapons. And I think the idea that the third one, um, they, they um, tore it all down and said, it's just you, you have no weapons, you have nowhere to go, you're underground, and it's going to be about the relationship between you and this thing, and you're going to have to be very inventive with what you do, and and basically it's going to be like the last hurrah for this character. Like, the pieces were there, but it so clearly was like just pushed through. So anyway, yeah. I thought there was good elements to Alien 3, but I wish that I could have seen another version of it, basically. Well, and even too, like, I guess the uh, from what I kept reading Sigourney Weaver kept being like no I don't want to come back no I don't want to come back and they kept offering her gob tons of money mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she's like yeah okay I'll come back for gob mm-hmm. tons of money but initially in the there was one version that I had read where um, you know how in Alien 3 right at the very beginning they've crash landed on this penal colony mm-hmm. um and newt and hicks have died in the crash yeah, yeah, yeah. it was supposed to be that um newt and ripley died in the crash and that alien 3 was going to be about hicks oh is that because they didn't have her like because they weren't but... sure that they had her right and right. then so then of course once they offered her i think at that time they offered her something like five million which at the time was a ton of money yeah she came in and they were like, oh, okay, so scratch all of that. Let's just rewrite a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, Her yeah, character doesn't have as much depth as it does in the other ones. No. Even Resurrection, which happens afterwards, which... I think has a lot more... It's yeah, so to fun it. for the... her. My favorite thing yeah. is she's playing this weird clone of herself that has this like sentient connection to It's like the kind Xenomorphs. of a hybrid and kind yes. of not. And she's got all of these... Well, and I think too, it's kind of implied that she has kind of the learned experience of some of the other failed clones that came before her. Yes. Like somehow they, like she's just, she's not quite human and she's very otherworldly. Yeah. But then of course she also has that very, I have to say it, it's a very gut-wrenching scene when she comes across the lab and she finds the other yeah, yeah, failed yeah. clone versions of herself. And the one of them begs her to kill it. And so yeah, she yeah. ends up, like having a complete breakdown and setting fire to the lab like that is a it really feels like human cathartic as much scene. as my my issue with the last one is it feels like they tried to do like a greatest hits of all the alien films yeah. like we're gonna make it an action film but also a little bit of a thriller and also we're gonna take a little bit of alien 3 but we're gonna make this new version of the alien which like the design is okay but it's clearly like half human in kind of a clunky way like it wasn't as scary, but I think the thing they really succeeded in that film was they gave her a lot to do. And I think if they yeah. were trying to convince her to come back, they're like, we're going to make this really fun for you because we know that this isn't like the original Ripley. This is your body, but you still have all this like basically stuff to work with. So I think her performance in it is pretty awesome. 
Yeah, um, I, I agree with that I think as that's well, the too. best part of the movie. <laughs> and yeah, and I think one of the things that, that makes Resurrection kind of clunky is that it's an early Joss Whedon script. Mm -hmm. And so he, we all now know his, his trademark kind of tongue-in-cheek, witty mm -hmm. sense of humor. And there are a lot of actors who now really understand that style and can execute it quite well. But I think because he hadn't done any directing work yet, and he wasn't actually in the room mm -hmm. to like this is this is what I was going for kind of thing is like you can see a lot of actors who are actually really good actors like Ron Perlman is a great actor yeah um they're just not really it nailing feels like they're trying to do like a blade, a blade movie that's what it feels yeah. like to me when I was watching it it has the like, tone of like just it's it you can see them kind of winking at the camera a bit you know it's like, directed by the same guy who did Amelie like this very yeah, almost like which is a very sweet yes or like there's a sequence the where where so yeah. like they're, they're climbing up this this ladder um in the ship and they're getting dragged down by the xenomorph and Ron Perlman goes like behind his back shooting down he finally gets a headshot on the xenomorph and then he lunges his body back onto the ladder and there's a tiny little spider and he goes oh and then shoots the spider too like it's just this image of like yeah. it's the spider that scared me <laughs> it's just like a little bit too um sweet it's like it's it, very yeah it's clunky yeah but yeah. It, it has its i think just the the performance for sigourney weaver is the appeal for me of that speaking of that oh. this is something i can't believe i didn't know this going into this i i uh discovered this when researching this episode she was nominated for an academy award for best actress for aliens oh really i yeah. i don't think i realized that which but is it makes huge sense. It that is, is huge so for... huge to me, especially to, well, and I, I'm even going to argue now that science fiction is generally not a very well-regarded genre when it comes to those prestige awards. Oh, no, Like, I all. don't, like, they're really not considered very much when you're thinking about, like, uh, you know, BAFTAs and Golden Globes and the Academy Awards mm -hmm. and things like that. People don't really think to really scrutinize science fiction, despite the fact that some of the most heart-wrenching performances i've ever seen came from science fiction mm -hmm. most people still generally want to write it off as fluff so for sigourney weaver to be nominated for best actress in 1986 mm -hmm. for a sci-fi action movie is huge why didn't i know that why did she talk so about clearly, this every like, time we talk about sigourney weaver she's phenomenal and she's clearly the driving force of that franchise yes like absolutely she, she is alien um yes which is you know She's fantastic. I'm really curious to see. I'm a little bit skeptical, uh, but I'm curious to see what the the new TV show turns into for Alien because they announced like Noah Hawley is going to do an Alien TV show um, oh, for Disney's version of Fox. Um, and they are going to do a new film as well, but it isn't related to the Alien franchise as it exists. Like, I just think just like keep giving Ridley Scott the keys to the hover car. Like he can be in charge. As far as I'm concerned, he's done the best like tone and world other than James Cameron. But he's very clearly busy doing his he's, avatar. He's doing his universe. avatar thing. <laughs> um, so I just think like, why would you not give it to Ridley Scott? But I'm just a little bit afraid that they're going to straight reboot it and just like Disneyfy it. And it was going to take a lot of the like, I don't know the fear out of it but i do like noah hawley so we'll see anyway what else uh, has he done noah hawley he did um didn't he do 
Legion, unless I'm making mixing him up with somebody else. Um, okay, so he still knows how to do a really tightly crafted yeah. action. He did Legion, but he also did Fargo, the Fargo TV show. Oh, which, okay. again, is another franchise that I thought, please, dear God, don't ruin Fargo don't for ruin me. This. Because it's one yeah. of my favorite films of all time. And he did do something very interesting with it, turning it into this kind of like season-by-season season anthology. Um, but... Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to say. I, I like that he does something different with it with it, and that's all that I can really hope for is that he does something different than the original films instead of trying to do again like the resurrection problem, which is the greatest hits of Alien. Right. Um Yeah. Anyway, this is some of the like we were talking, we kind of got a little bit off track, but it was all alien related. Um, <laughs> of some of our like physical and um uh, pr practical uh, monster executions uh, but to get into the vocal executions of such monsters it's important that we get to uh, uh, part three of our uh, creature feature uh, which is uh, monster impressions now uh, Madra there's only oh, a boy. few monsters in the uh, alien universe uh, which which uh, monster would you like to uh, grace us with the, the, the presence of um And now I suggested I don't know. I don't know. that if you, you didn't know what to do, you could do the egg. I'll do the egg. I'll do the egg. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the egg. Perfect. That's great, wasn't it? Uh, to those uh, who are listening, uh, obviously you heard nothing uh, because that's the sound of an egg. It does, might do some slight gurgling um, when it when it opens up um, to reveal a, a face hugger inside. Um which is also, I mean, a fantastic uh, moment. Um, but you all missed my impression of the flaps opening yes. and the egg emerging out from the cocoon. Well, they'll and, have to yeah. imagine it because it is an uh, auditory experience. Um, but you, it was great. You it was should great. all know that it was great. It was great. Um, my, I, I'm going to do an impression of, uh, of a xenomorph. Uh, now, in, in trying to do a xenomorph impression, I um, listened to many uh, versions of, of the xenomorph. I shall um, attempt to do it now and then explain to you what I have done. Just um, as long as you don't scare your dog. <laughs> no, it's it's like a... It's a three-parter. There's a lot of raptor sounds, followed right. by some hissing sounds. A lot of like guttural hissing sounds and some munching because that's usually the way that they prey uh, on human beings. Um, it is uh, clearly my best work. Um, when, I think, <laughs> when I think of aliens, you're right. I do think of a lot of like. It is, but it does noises. When yeah. I when and I like, listen and they're very to, drooly, very like, drooly. Two, it's like a gargling. There is like a very guttural sound, like almost like a yeah. dinosaur raptor, and a lot of hissing like a cat. Um, and just them devouring and ripping through often human or android flesh. Um, uh, imagine, would you like to try to uh, share a, a quote with us, perhaps of an actor you've also enjoyed uh, from the franchise? I've got one. I can do mine first if you want. Yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay, so this is um, uh, Hudson, who's played by Bill Paxton. <laughs> is a very, I'm glad you went very, first because that's who I was going to do. <laughs> a very iconic uh, part when he's going up against the xenomorphs and realizes he's completely doomed, where he goes, 
that's it man game over man game over <laughs> or no he has like a kind of vocal crack where it's like game over yeah it's like there's a little bit of like that's it man to it, like game over game man, over, man. Game game over. Over. Yep. yeah i mean that's really it, it's funny because we talk about how ripley is like uh i'm i mean she's scared but eventually she's especially in aliens like all business that hudson is the way that we actually all feel where it's like we're doomed yeah. man um, I was reading that James Cameron encouraged all of the people who were playing the space Marines to create full backstories for themselves. Cool. And so um, Bill Paxton imagined that his character trained mostly on simulators. Oh, and that's where the game over. Oh, that's cool. Would come from for him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think it's that he came up with the line game over man game, but like in his mind, he was like, okay, well, why would this guy say that? And so he came up with the backstory that his character didn't actually have that much hands-on experience and that he had done almost all of his training on simulators. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I have a soft spot I, for the like, know- nerdy comic relief in horror films and alien has a couple really good ones. Yeah. Yeah, and Bill Paxton was saying that as well, too, is that, like, at first when he read the script, he was like, this guy is such a weenie, I don't want to play him, and then yeah. he came to realize that, actually, no, he was the, he were, he was the handful of light spots in this otherwise very dark and scary movie, yeah. and that, it's that, fun. that was his role to fulfill there. Aliens yeah. is a little bit more fun. <laughs> Not, Do like, you know, campy, but this is This is one of my absolute favorite sci-fi action trivia bits and i'm sure a lot of people also know this but i love this is like the thing that i whip out at parties Mm -hmm. do you know that bill paxton is the only actor to have been killed by a terminator a predator and a xenomorph oh i didn't know that but that's very cool some argue that lance hendrickson also fulfills that um criteria but technically he does not because his android character doesn't actually mm. die in aliens because like we see him reactivated in aliens mm-hmm. three he's right? simply beheaded. and he only just acts he a- he asks ripley to deactivate him mm-hmm. so technically he does not die so by pure technicality of actual death bill paxton is the only actor to be killed by a terminator a predator and an alien um I've got a couple other quotes. And those are the things that I know. That are good. <laughs> I don't I, I don't ask me how to do my taxes, but I do know how those things. <laughs> I won't uh I won't dare to do the impression, but there's a couple other quotes that I can share that I was picking out that I thought were good. Um one is just the very end of I think the first alien when it um she's alone in the spaceship and just says, This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo signing off, like where she's clearly everyone else is dead. She has no idea what else will get the transmission. She's just gonna float around into space and and hope for the best. And another one I think I think at the end of it she she says that hopefully it'll take me six weeks to get to I think it's like to a base or whatever. Like she she seems to think that she'll be rescued in about six weeks. Mm -hmm. But of course we find out in aliens that's not the case. But anyway. Um poor Ripley. There is also a great quote from um, Prometheus when they're so basically for those who don't know that like the two films that happened before Alien, which are the two most recent films, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, um, deal with basically people from Earth searching out to find what they believe to be like their maker, like where the first human life came from. um, And they discovered this. Uh, society that they kind of dubbed the engineers 
which are a little bit bigger, but also quite humanoid with like kind of like sullen eyes. Um, they, they have kind of like dangerous looking eyes, but they're just super strong, intelligent kind of beings um, that seem a little bit less emotional, but like very advanced in their own way. And when um, the character finds them, who in that one is Elizabeth Shaw, and she's great um, as a character and she comes into Covenant as well in a way. Um, but she like realizes that it's a genetic match and um, with a partner, she basically says, it's us, it's everything, what killed them? So it's like she discovers basically these dead bodies. She tests the DNA and goes, we did find a match, but they're dead. And the first thing that she says is like, this is incredible, but like, what killed them? <laughs> because it's like, okay, well, if they didn't live, how are we going to live? Um, yeah, if they were such an advanced society who then created us and they were killed by something, then what are we going to do? Yeah. And I love the idea, which I think is in Prometheus, established first in Prometheus, that like they find this black goo that starts infecting everyone. And it's the idea is that the xenomorphs, like as we know them to be, are almost this bioweapon that the engineers created. So it's this goo um, and basically like plague bearing and all of these like vases that are like oozing out this this infectious highly infectious goop um that starts manipulating your body into producing these kind of xenomorphs and i guess within the way that they had been using it they could control it but as soon as you add the human factor in of this crew like it starts mutating and morphing into these like um insidious alien creatures anyway i thought those those films were really great i was really um pleasantly surprised by prometheus because i feel like it had to live up to a pretty great expectation um but i thought it was really cool um why don't we I, take... oh, well ahead. i didn't do any of my favorite quotes rude okay do them do them do you have some what's your I, I i absolutely love i i i love her whole performance actually the girl who played <clears throat> excuse me the girl who played newt in aliens mm. um basically was just kind of like they went on a on a world or not worldwide they went on a i think they only looked through england because mm -hmm. that's where they were filming at the time and they found this little girl in uh at her school she never decided to be an actor after this. So her one and only acting credit is in Aliens. But I think she gives <laughs> one such an and absolutely... done, baby. <laughs> well, you know, go out on a high note. Yeah. I think she gives such an absolutely riveting performance because she has such an expressive face, this, these expressive eyes, and really understand. I think she gives such a great uh, performance of, of somebody who's experienced trauma and is trying mm -hmm. to just like survive from day to day and she's just this really young little girl she's amazing and so one of my favorite lines that she says um it's right after the crew has tried to leave mm -hmm. and their ship gets blown up and they realize that they're stranded and they're trying to figure out what to do and she just turns to to ripley and very innocently says we should go back inside soon it'll be dark soon they mostly come out at night mostly <laughs> and it's just like Oh, it's so creepy that this little girl just so matter-of-factly is like, we should go back inside because we'll otherwise be ripped to shreds. Burp, burp. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Oh, isn't there another quote? Is it also from Aliens? I can't remember which one of them it is. But they say, like, I used to think that monsters were just something that happens in my nightmares, but now I know, like, they're Yeah, not. or I think she said something <laughs> like, like oh. um, my, my mommy told me that monsters aren't real, but they are yeah they really are it. or whatever yeah yeah and it's like yeah. that's that's pretty much that's creepy yeah that's and creepy. then of course they're uh, at the end of aliens as well too when ripley is gone to save newt and she's in the exoskeleton 
And she just turns to the xenomorph and says, you get away from her, you bitch! Yes. And attacks. It's great. Um, yes. There's a lot of uh, good stuff in there. All right. Uh, I, I'm good on all of my quotes. Uh, I think we're going to take a little break now. And when we get back, we've got some more uh, creature feature madness to share with you. There could be a billion highlights from these films as we are talking about six films. Um, today we are essentially excluding Alien vs. Predator and its sequel just because it's not quite in the same um, canonical uh, timeline. But um, to those who but love... you know what? I actually, I really actually like those movies quite yeah. a lot. Well, yeah. as I was saying, uh, in, I think in the intro without saying it uh, properly, but Alien vs. Predator was my first um, exposure to Alien, and it is really fun. I, the sequel to that is the only one of these eight films that I haven't seen. Um, so you listeners can decide <laughs> whether the sequel to AVP is worth uh, my time. But. Requiem, yeah, Requiem goes very, it leans very much into a lot of horror tropes where it's like, there's the group of teenagers who mm. get killed while they're skinny dipping mm-hmm. and the nerd, you know, and that sort well, of thing Maybe I would like my- it then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it very much leans. Yeah, very much leans into those kinds of of horror tropes, um, and also too, they don't really. Maybe oh, maybe I shouldn't tell you this because it you haven't seen this movie, but That's the first I have to I'll say this: the first kill is unexpected, and you're like, oh, they're gonna go there. Oh, oh okay, cool. So I'll let you watch it, and then we can talk about that after. Cool. Just like, um, just between us. Well, uh, we'll be getting to best kill uh, soon. But the first thing that we're going to do after the break is look at our uh, highlights, basically, from the franchise. I've got four highlights. I guess I'll make one of them an honorable mention. So I'm looking for your top three highlights, Madrin, from um, the Alien franchise. Uh, I think there's probably going to be some overlap for us, but I will do it in reverse order. So I'll start with my honorable mention and then we'll climb our way up to, to number one. Um, so my honorable mention, uh, no, wait, no, I don't have, uh, I have three and then later on I'll do four. The, the moment that I'm going to start with is um, Jonesy's cat point of view on the full side aliens first appearance. So in alien number one, that is a good one. You have never seen the aliens, you know, fully formed. You've just seen, the like uh, chest burster like moments the baby one, yeah. and you've seen the baby run off. And so they have no idea basically what they could possibly be going up against. They just know that that little thing is out there somewhere, which is obviously scary because of the way that it was birthed, but how could they possibly know how quickly it, it evolves? So um, they've got um, one of the, the crew members has basically gone out and they find the cat and they're being like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And behind like first you see the cat's eyes and like it's hissing and going into the darkness and you see the tail drop down first then you see the xenomorph behind him and then as we were talking about before like it slowly comes up behind him and he turns around it doesn't kill him right away it's like the suspense of it all makes it so satisfying but i think it's awesome that it's from the cat's point of view and you could even see like the reflection in the cat's eyes and stuff which is very cool um that's my that's a good one one. do oh you go do you have one a moment that you want to share um 
I think a really iconic moment uh, is in Aliens where they're trying to track it. Mm -hmm. And there's like they're, you know, they're in that very narrow walkway and you like and it runs by behind them and they all oh, like, yeah, yeah. and then and it runs by behind them and like they're and when they're tracking it and they're like oh it's it's 100 feet oh it's 80 feet it's 50 oh, feet yeah, it's yeah. gotta be in the room and it's like it's in the fence and like yeah. you realize oh it's like like it's just it's so suspenseful the way that they're watching it on that radar and it's is like, this no, when they I realize there's multiple it. aliens too because there's one there's the sequence where they go back and then they realize that there's a bunch of them all around them in aliens too right or is that that comes later i think that comes later yeah i know that's a good part too but yeah, um, like when just as they're watching it on their radar and they're like, it's in the vents. <laughs> so um, this one is the silliest, but it it made me laugh pretty hard. In Alien Resurrection, there's a scene where all of the aliens start talking to one another and they just keep cutting back and forth between the aliens who are just speaking an alien language that makes <laughs> no sense to anybody. But they did a lot of inserts of them going like, yeah, oh yeah and, and they keep okay. talking to each other and then basically one of them murders the other one and it turns into the acid and then the acid goes down and melts out a hole in the bottom so clearly the conversation that they have had is one of us should sacrifice yeah, ourselves which one of well, us is i don't want to sacrifice myself it'll yeah. be you you're the you're the runt and so when you actually think about the context of what they're discussing versus the way that it showed the movie i thought it was so silly <laughs> like um that they're generally really scary looking and it's just such a weird conversation um and that also has a nice reversal of like so when the first alien um is trying to get out the scientist hits them with a whole bunch of like cold mist that like it is implied that it basically freezes you and so when they finally get out the scientist goes into the like holding cell that they were in and looks down one of them gets pulled down into the hole that was made by acid and then the other one's in there being like, oh my God, oh my God. And the alien has gone out through the hole in the bottom into the other side of the glass. And they hit the big red button that then freezes the scientist that has been being frozen by the alien. And so basically they've learned, but it's all like, to me, that is like all comedy of like, the alien had the little alien discussion. They murdered one. They made this little pit. And then they got to go to the other side and then take their revenge with their big red button. Like, it's <laughs> pretty straightforward. Um, and it's the only time where I've seen a bunch of aliens having a polite conversation about who should get murdered. Um, but and I, I think there's a great example of, like, that could have gone so much better and not have been so weird and campy were yes. were people to better understand what joss whedon was going for when he wrote that, that scene yes. you know what i mean like well, it's I think a great that, example of like oh, we've all just missed the mark here that one's supposed to end with them all like having whiskey at the end too and being like, well that was crazy <laughs> it's like, but it doesn't oh, good end like show, it is but that was like that would have been at least you know. fun um yeah uh, do you have one more moment then i can share my top moment highlight not to be confused with um, my best kills because that no, really has yeah, a lot yeah, of the best No, yeah, yeah, my ones. best kill is very um I think the moment in Alien where we discover that Ash is an android is mm. really huge. Mm -hmm. Um because of course like you have no idea that even a android technology exists in this universe until that moment comes and it just like it, he does such a complete 180 mm -hmm. where because when we realize that he's an android that's when we realize that he has been programmed and sent by um 
the Wayland yutani Corporation to capture the xenomorph mm-hmm. and that like, he's had ulterior motives this whole time and that like the reason why so many like he's the one who who made them break quarantine. Basically, so you realize that fault. he's he's the antagonist and not the he's aliens. the antagonist of yeah. this. The alien just happens to be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is really like, and so I, I think that really speaks to that that thread runs in so many horror movies, but the like the real horror comes from within. It's mm-hmm. not really the monster that you're fighting. It's just like how terrible humanity is mm-hmm. is really the terrible monster. Well, and just how like all of the scientists always think that the thing that they create including all the ai will like just be obedient for them because they're like a lesser class of human like very much throughout all the alien films they're always just like hey android can you do this for me but like that's what makes the david character so dangerous is like he knows that everyone assumes that he's going to follow by uh, their instructions and he clearly has his own motives and doing whatever he wants to do which then makes um lance hendrickson's android character in aliens Mm -hmm. so much more interesting because he really truly is above board and actually sacrifices himself for Mm -hmm. ripley and newt at the Mm -hmm. end um so just that that redemption of all ai Mm -hmm. afterwards you know it goes back and forth i like when they try doing different things of it like even in resurrection like spoiler but like winona riders reveal is like oh but it's less of a like stakes of the whole thing but more about like the character that you're like oh i really empathized with this character and i thought that you were a very human character and then it is a great reveal that the ai can be like that too Um, and they even talk about like oh there was only a few of these made because they were like uncomfortable for us to interact with like they were supposed to be the thing that the ai wasn't too robotic they were supposed to be more human it was supposed to save ai and instead it it like killed the industry um yeah all right my top moment that i think as being satisfying when i watched it uh was you just talked about it right before the break but when ripley comes out uh in the loader in aliens and just says like get away from her you bitch and she's just got the because it's such a great um two film like arc for her she goes from being not like a damsel in distress because that's not really what she's doing although essentially that's what the child is serving in the in the second film of like that trope but um she goes from being so believably terrified in the first film and doing her best like i think about like her trying to get into that suit and like barely being able to move at the end of the first film to being so like powerful in the action film to say like not only am i not afraid of you anymore i'm gonna go up in this just mech suit and fight the queen of the aliens with like no protection other than like human gusto (laughs) um and it's like immensely satisfying right because it's just the flip side of what we had before and um in in like the action film it's a great way to just see a big fight sequence with the queen too um which is just super satisfying um, do you have any other top moment that you want to share? That was my top moment. Oh, yeah. sweet. Then we have a tie. Yeah. We're, it's I unanimous. think we tied. Yeah. Because it you're any right. And like, it's just, it's so iconic that exoskeleton lifter suit that she's wearing, mm-hmm. the, the, the line that she delivers, the... right? Like she gets her, she gets her, her stereotypical action hero catchphrase at yeah. the end. It's not even the fight scene itself. Because the fight scene itself is kind of simple. Like she clamps it with the, and eventually she throws yeah. it out in space or whatever. But like, it's just the appearance. 
of like when she comes out i feel like if i saw it in theaters it would be like you know those big moments of the marvel films where everyone like applauds in the theater like yeah. you see the wall or the door come up and she just walks out in the suit and i feel in like it would be like suit. um it's just so satisfying well Great and i entrance. think that 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 it's also like that is also a believable way that a person would take on an yeah. alien queen is yeah. that you know she's so we see how smart of a hero um ripley is as well mm -hmm. too versus there are so many action movies that star men where that final scene is just them punching each other yeah until one of them gives versus this is a very smart way of trying mm -hmm. to defeat the creature i think at the fun part of aliens too is all of the like military access to like tons of guns tons of weapons tons yeah. of resources it, it it is extreme in that way so well, why and not you just go yeah for it? like you hear or you come to realize just the massive scope and reach and resources that the whaling utani yes. corporation has right yeah all right let's get into our best kills so this is where i'm going to do my first honorable mention um which is uh from uh resurrections there is a point where uh there's a dead body and a xenomorph uh like starts getting really close to the dead body that's been like stuck on top of a grate and everyone's just run away and they're like oh we can't go back for it and the xenomorph is like got its head like just close to like sniff the dead body and you just see the barrel of a gun get poked through the dead body's chest and then shoot the xenomorph in the head and then you see the like dead body flung over and Ripley gets, or the Ripley's clone or whatever gets out from the tunnels underneath and just goes, was it everything you expected? <laughs> like to the group of people just being like, what was that? But it's it was actually like genuinely surprising. I was like, what is that? Oh my God. Oh, you could be there the whole time. And it's like this epic kill uh, with a nice little like tagline afterwards. Um, so while it's not in my top three best kills, uh, it was my favorite kill in that movie for sure. Um, all right. Top three kills um why don't we hear hear uh your first one matron hmm. i think the way i i mean i guess technically it's not really a kill i i think the way that um lance hendrickson's bishop android hmm. i guess kind of dies is yeah. is very i'll take it um, for sure yeah, I, I really like that moment for a lot of reasons, because one, I, I we kind of touched on it just a minute ago about like Ripley has been so suspicious of Bishop the entire movie for good reason, right? Because the last time she interacted with a, an android, it betrayed her. Mm -hmm. So he, he has spent the whole movie reassuring her that he has no ulterior motives. And by sacrificing himself in the way that he does, we realized that he really was true to that, that he like he sacrificed himself to save Newt and and Ripley. And then also in the just in the film lover way of it, the way that he dies is so incredible, right? Like with the the tail bursting through his chest, like piercing through his chest, and that they made um a dummy that could actually be ripped in half mm -hmm. and then you know all this milk's blood spurts out everywhere it's just the visuals of it are quite mm -hmm. amazing and the the practical effects lover in me loves the way that that was executed it looks so good the the like the lines of the tail are beautiful and mm -hmm. the colors coming out of it and the way it's lit like i just uh, yeah the whole thing is really mm -hmm. beautiful to me sweet um, my number three uh, best kill is in Prometheus. 
And it's funny, this is like weirdly divisive for some people, but like Milburn, who is the one that's always kind of like, I don't know, I'm going to go over and like try to interact with like, there's the Hammerpede, which is like the worm looking alien, which seems to have actually come from the little worms in the ground that have uh, interacted with this black goo become these like slithering water worms basically and one comes out from the water and he's like oh what a cute little thing and he like goes over to like try to touch it which the criticism is like why would you do that but it's funny he's he serves basically as the comedic relief and then there is an absolutely brutal kill where the thing like latches onto him and starts like uh, going around his arm and like basically like suffocating him and his um like partner who's down there with them gets acid spun spud um thrown into its face and starts like tearing away at its mask and dissolving killing the other guy and then this little like hammerpede basically smashes through the glass of this guy's um mask and goes right into his throat and chokes him from the inside and the whole sequence of it from being like oh a little funny cute worm to just the brutality and immediacy of the kill is like pretty awful and funny and so it was very satisfying it it uh, comes in at number three on best kill for me um, oh i didn't realize we had to come up wait why are there four why did you have four i had an honorable mention that's why the honorable oh, mention goes first i had an honorable mention just basically for the tagline <laughs> like <laughs> shooting a gun isn't really as eventful as a cool hammerpede uh up the throat but hey um I mean, I'm going to name these deaths there. It's a bit lame, but I'm going to say it because it is so crucial to what happens later in the movie is at the top of Alien 3. Mm -hmm. um, we we see that Newt and Hicks die in the mm -hmm. crash in that penal colony. And it's the, those scenes because... Ripley has, especially around Newt, truly grew to love mm -hmm. the the two of them, and and like really, she was thinking you could see that she really thought of Newt as her daughter, but the fact that she has to insist on these really invasive autopsies and then burning the bodies afterwards mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't have um, a xenomorph inside them is really, and then of course, like we've come to realize, like like that's so crucial. My, and uh... I think it's just it's so I I think it's important because like. Like you said, we see the evolution of Ripley that despite the fact that she really truly mourns the death of these two people, she's all business when it mm -hmm. comes to the practicality of it, right? And so like that we see that that is how she thinks now. Mm -hmm. And that is like she's constantly on guard. I think the real the reason for me to why Newt had to die is that once they realized, I guess, in the script or whatever version that they were running with, that um, Ripley was going to have an alien inside of her, and she was basically going to be going around being like, one of you has to kill me because we can't let this thing hatch. She wouldn't have the same willingness to do that if Newt was still alive, because yeah, she has to I take care it... of somebody else. So it's like, if she's actually serving as somebody's like mother figure, she would try to do maybe what happens in um now i can't remember because i watched them back to back basically prometheus is it prometheus or covenant where she has the i think it's prometheus where she has to give herself an abortion which is yeah. also a sweet like really satisfying sequence and i'm glad that they did it in like a tight way um 
not sweet as in pleasant, but like sweet as in satisfying. Um, I thought that was really cool. But like, I, and th- I also, that I think it's... whatever doesn't exist, that's not an option for her. So I don't think she'd be going around saying like, kill me if she was in charge of the girl, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And I also think it really then speaks to that overarching thing that is so prominent in Alien 3 that in a lot of ways, Ripley literally loses her humanity mm. by mm-hmm. being the thing that like she's because she finds out that she's going to be birthing this alien queen mm-hmm. and and so you know sacrifices herself in that way i think you're right that like newt needed to die so that such a crucial part of ripley's humanity mm-hmm. also died with her mm-hmm. yeah and really that that isn't going to be the film that that fincher makes either like Fincher yeah, is more of yeah, a yeah. like pessimistic person. I mean, man, I don't know if personally like, this film seems to be more had... pessimistic, and it's not going to be the same kind of like mother daughter relationship that James Cameron did. It's going to be bleaker, and so you you're not really going to be one of playing that dynamic throughout the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And of course, like I know now that of course they had no idea that Alien Resurrection was coming, but it's very interesting to watch it. Like we in alien 3 ripley sacrifices herself because she has this alien queen inside of her and for me it it's so much of like we see you know her final moments and she's giving up of herself and and like i keep saying it's like she's you know she's lost so much of her humanity and then in alien resurrection she's not human anymore Mm -hmm. Right, like she's this yeah, weird. Yeah. She is something clone else. alien hybrid character. She's not really Ellen Ripley anymore. Yeah. If you're tracking her um, kind of like, so I think that overarching or that overarc four film arc, she goes from someone who's essentially like subjected to trauma to being more of a hero, and then to basically being a casualty and like a self sacrifice, and then just this weird kind of image of herself. Like yeah. she has her own kind of like predatory behavior in the fourth one which we talked about things yeah like the way that she the way that she plays her there's a lot of like um xenomorphic yeah and like sensory like Like she's really that in the same way that we were like we how we were talking about um when the original actor was playing the xenomorph and alien Mm -hmm. that so much of his movements were so slow and balletic and Mm -hmm. very methodical you can see sigourney weaver in resurrection play those Mm -hmm. similar movements um yeah my that was very off topic of of of, uh that's okay but anyway it's all on the topic of aliens so we're good it's all aliens um my number two best kill is from alien covenant and there is a shower scene this is also relevant because that one takes place um they're like a colonizing ship so they've got thousands and thousands of bodies basically in in hypersleep and they're trying to find a suitable place to start a new colony on a new planet and so with Covenant, they get drawn to this other planet that they, of course, as many other times in the franchise, realize that it's a trap and they should not have gone there. Um, but towards the end, um, there there is like a scene where Ricks and Epworth, because many of the, the people on the ship are actual couples like that were taken to, to be colonizer. They're basically like having like a sex scene in, in the in the shower and there's a shot where you can see just their feet like it's fairly tasteful in the way that they do it you can see their feet and then out from behind the stall you see a black tail which is that of like the xenomorph and it grazes across one of their legs and they're like ah what was that and it disappears and it goes back to the the guy's face being like oh i don't know and then you get the classic 
um, like burst through the guy's back of his head through its throat, spatters, spatters her face in blood and just like tears him off. And then it cuts to her just being like, oh my God. And then uh, they're just, it cuts away. But it's such a beautiful extreme of like this very like sensual, almost like not comedic, but like uplifting, like scene to just the brutality of like this shower scene. And when we talk about too, like there is certainly like a connotation with the aliens around like they embody a lot of our fear of like sexual assault and like rape because they're invasive in the way that they attack the body that to put it in that scene is like so brutal and jarring like it's really kind of on the nose in a weird way that it it's um fun but it's all at first it's fun and then it gets really kind of twisted in its own way and then later on when people discover the bodies it's like oh this was the worst way that you could have gone <laughs> you know Ugh. yeah yeah so that's... and i think too like it's it, it's a, a kind of a universal feeling of just how vulnerable you are when you're in the shower it's the right? psycho like, of you're, it right you're like, naked you're yeah. wet you're, yeah. you have no weaponry on you like yeah, no, yeah. nobody showers with a knife you know like yeah, yeah. you're you're at your most vulnerable when you're in the shower yeah mm -hmm. yeah all it's right just, i don't know there's just the, the aliens are already like slimy so to see them in a scenario that's like also wet it's like it's weird <laughs> uh i'm sure this will come as no surprise to you my top death of course has to be when uh john hurts kane yes it's probably the same as mine of course yeah. in uh it's just it's so it's the chest again burster. like it has to it's be it's the chest burster it scene be. right it absolutely that very first one <laughs> from alien uh you know he has survived what seems to be uh an attack on him the face hugger has disappeared he comes out, he's a little disoriented, a little, you know, he doesn't really remember what happened. But other than that, all of his vitals check out. Mm -hmm. He seems perfectly normal. And he's like laughing. He's like very and he's present. Like, yeah, and that's and... the thing, right? So like they all, the whole crew goes to have dinner and they're all just having like, oh man, like we thought you were really a goner there for a minute. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you're fine. And like he's you cracking had that weird jokes thing on your face. You know? Yeah, they're cracking jokes and everybody's having a good time. And then all of a sudden he just kind of like, <clears throat> and starts coughing and they're mm -hmm. and then this thing just bursts right out of his chest it's just it's so unexpected it's mm -hmm. such a great jump scare true beautiful moment of horror mm -hmm. and it's become iconic right yeah like how many it's times now the most spoofed been... thing probably in the franchise yeah i mean like it's what it's it also makes it one of the best scenes from space balls yeah <laughs> right um yeah, but it and, is it's terrifying. Like it's yeah. The way in which it happens and, and the like speed in which it happens is is brutal. Like yeah, it maybe is not as satisfying as the kill of like an alien ripping somebody's half of somebody's face off, which happens a lot with like their tail or a claw. You're just like, sure. "Oh, somebody's been immediately beheaded." But I think the idea that it could happen without you knowing it in your own body is like horrific in yeah, its own like, way. Yeah, like that the nature of the way that the face hugger then implants what is this like parasitic mm -hmm. thing inside you and you don't know that it's there and you don't mm -hmm. know what it's doing to you until all of a sudden it just comes. And like, and then just that that very visceral cracking mm -hmm. noise and feeling of it coming out of his rib cage. Mm -hmm. It's just so... 
beautifully iconic. Yeah, it was hard with this one because I was like, I could easily give the chest burster scene. It could be my top moment, my top kill, my top award. My but top I was like, everything. I think yeah. it's the top kill for me. It's it's just so iconic and satisfying, and it serves the story so well. Um, all right. So and at that point, I think really sets the tone for the horror aspect of what is left to come. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, it, because up until then, it's been a very much, it's been more of a mystery, right? Like, oh, we found, you know, we heard this distress call and we're investigating and we found these weird eggs mm-hmm. and one of them seemed to attack our friend, but like, he's fine now. And so we're just trying to figure out what happened to these people. Like where did they, you know, it's really at more at that point, it's really more of a mystery suspense movie. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it does the 180 and it's it's a horror movie and everybody is in immediate danger for the rest of the movie. And it's just so lovely. Um, I'm going to go through, just before we give out our top three Creechy Awards, I'm going to put the order of the possible aliens that it could be based off the chron- okay. like chronological aliens out. So these are basically the options that I think you have in the order that I think they exist. There's the Hammerpede, which are the kind of worm things from Prometheus. There's the Trilobites, which are the kind of squid-like things that, that were taken out uh using that machine basically aborted and then turned into this like horrifying giant squid um there's deacon at the end of prometheus which is kind of like a half trilobite half person thing that also is a bit like a xenomorph that comes out that it's this first kind of weird hybrid there's the neomorphs which are really scary looking um which are these almost like white human skinned aliens there's the baby xenomorph in covenant there's the full-blown covenant xenomorph that's like quite black and scary. There's the egg. There's the face hugger. There's the chest burster. There's alien drones, alien warriors, alien queens. And then when you get to the tail end, you've got either the dog alien or ox alien, uh, depending on which cut of film you've seen. <laughs> and uh, there's the alien newborn and resurrection, which is the more skeleton uh, one. Now there might be a couple few variants there's also more variants in the comics and the video games but those are as far as i can tell the main aliens that exist between the six films that we were focusing on madrin what is your first of your top three creature awards your bronze creature award which alien version would you like to give it to i think the bronze award will go to the alien queen Mm. from aliens okay because it really steps up its game Mm -hmm. like we've already seen the xenomorph right but like this is it really steps up the game and it really amplifies the horror aspect of it that there's this queen thing Mm -hmm. that is pumping out these eggs and you know is looking to basically colonize humanity Mm -hmm. and then i also really enjoy that is one of those true labors of love Like it was designed by James Cameron. It took something like four people to operate it. It truly was a huge undertaking to be able to execute it. And I think they did a really good job. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was in my top three. So I'm going to give it my bronze just so we can talk about it at the same point. So I don't circle back to it later. Um, But I think it is like an incredible uh, design as well. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that I love about the queen is again i love when like science fiction is rooted in something that we understand apparently 
the design was like borrowed by real life termites. Like that was the visual uh. image that they wanted to give is that termites kind of look like that. And they have this like giant kind of posterior that swelled up to the point where it looks like the queen is sitting on a throne. Um, and again, it like explains more of the lore. It ups the ante of being a more disgusting creature. Um, and I love just like the obvious thing of like the thing of the queen kind of looks like it has a crown in the sense that it's yeah. got that giant head that backs up. Um, that doesn't necessarily do anything for it practically, but it looks very cool. And it explains the lore of like in this version where the eggs come from as well. And I always like seeing the like full circle of the lore attached to being something um, visually satisfying. All right. So bronze, the bronze creature goes to the queen. What do you queen, right? what do you think uh, as well i don't know how the queen would feel about that coming in, in bronze <laughs> but she'll have to live um she'll have to live as is her function uh what is your silver creature award madrin now there's no I'm right or wrong it to, it's a personal preference yeah, i think i'm gonna give it to the face hugger oh okay again it's very iconic um the way that it attaches to a person is really frightening like with those huge kind of crab claws that wrap almost all the way around your head mm-hmm. and that it, it it like it almost it like it goes into your mouth and down your throat and into mm-hmm. your chest like a breathing tube mm-hmm. and then as we were talking about before it looks very crab like and so you can kind of you can kind of imagine it really truly happening to you and i can just like I imagine how horrifying that suffocating feeling would be to have mm-hmm. this face hugger thing on you. And again, very iconic, classic. Oh, at this point, classic. Everyone recognizes it. You know what it is. You know what's coming after. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a in a kind of like a very original concept as well, too. You don't really see that in a mm-hmm. lot of horror movies that like um because it doesn't actually do much right like the actual action of the face hugger is just to hug your face Mm -hmm. it doesn't really attack you but it's so crucial in the evolution of the (laughs) the butterfly stages of the the xenomorph yeah and just and again too but you can when you really start to think about having this thing wrapped around your face Mm -hmm. and it's down your throat and it's suffocating you like that it's just that's a very horrible image Mm mm-hmm um, my silver creature award uh, goes to the Neomorph, which is the name of the Xenomorph that they use in Alien Covenant. And the first appearance of it is when it's quite little and it attacks them in the field and they're like by the ship and it's just fluttering by and it's like quite small and vicious. And I always thought that that scene is really satisfying. Um, but also when it's fully grown, I think it's. I mean, maybe it's just because I've become slightly desensitized to the original Alien, which is, of course, a classic and was scary in the way that it was first used. But the first time in a while where I'm like, okay, this is a scary looking thing. I think the production designer, like the animation that they used to create the Neomorph is quite scary. And um, in in the lore of the film, it's that David, the AI, has been playing with the DNA of all of this um, goo that he found uh, to basically make prototypes for the xenomorph like it's kind of believed that potentially this android who believes that he has a godlike status is the one who created 
at least these versions of Xenomorphs that we see throughout the Alien franchise. You see all these different versions before we arrive at the final one that potentially could be the one that are later in the films. But like, it's got this pale human skin and like its face is really scary. And there's a moment where like he tries to speak with it and it's just standing there like right up in his Michael Fassbender grill. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I found it to be the most... Um, visually intimidating xenomorph that that i have on the list in terms of what it does um and just the idea that there's so many versions of it and i think it's used in the film like really well versus i think it's a much better version of the half human newborn that we get in resurrection like this is what i wish the alien in resurrection looked like um that it was kind of inhuman in a different way human and inhuman um but the design is really awesome all right, your gold Creechy Award winner, Madrin. Who are you going to give it to? Well, you have to give it to the classic Xenowarf. Yeah. OG. The design is incredible. Again, for all you know, for all of the reasons why I, I think, and this, and I think this will sum up this entire episode. This is for all the reasons why we love this franchise so mm -hmm. much, is that it is such a beautifully designed well executed iconic looking alien give it up to geiger it's just absolutely <laughs> gorgeous <laughs> flawless look to it the like the extra tonguey like thing it's just it's so and the jaw coming jaw. out of it and those backwards hinged knees that it mm. walks around on and the the whipping tail it's just it's so it really is a beautifully designed and the way it blends alien. into the like architecture of the ship too. The, yeah. the way that they thought through that, I think, works out so well. Yeah, um, like the way that you see it unfurl itself from the the corners, right? And there's a part of you that's just like, oh, I thought that was just hoses and mm. parts of the ship, and you come to realize that it's not, and it's just it's so so well done. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I agree that it is fantastic, but it is not my gold award winner. Oh, my shocking. gold award winner goes to Madrin's silver award winner, which is the face hugger, because I just, it, it seems to me to be the most like, in a way, original thing in, in all of the designs that we have. Like, I can't think of anything even remotely comparable in another franchise, the face hugger. Like I can imagine... I mean, the alien is obviously so distinctive too. It was a hard decision for me, but like to me, the Neomorph is just like a little bit scarier than the Xenomorph. So it kind of topped it in terms of visual uh, fear factor. Um, but the the face hugger is just the perfect thing for the movie, which is like a stealthy um, suspense building piece of design that does exactly what it's supposed to do. Yes, it's not, uh, you know, it's not throughout the whole film in the same way that the alien is. Um, but it's just like the perfect utility. And whenever I see like, and just the eye, the way that it's first revealed too, like when he's coming towards the egg and this happens in multiple things where you're just, you're trying to look inside an egg and it opens up and it immediately latches onto your face. Like and the way that it just burnt, like jumps out at you. It's yeah, immediate. Like, like there is no chance yeah. for you to protect yourself at all. And it, it seems like it doesn't even struggle. Like it pretty much immediately always gets somebody's face. The other yeah. ones try and fail, but the the facehugger always seems to succeed. 
um probably because of like the, the surprise factor um, and, and i was gonna say and very surprising too because what other thing can you think of that hatches from an egg mm -hmm. that immediately has the ability to spring out like that right mm -hmm. like usually when you know you think of a newborn chick or something mm -hmm. like that and they're just they're still kind of like fresh and new and they're or a just turtle maybe struggling a bit, their way to the sea little, you know just opening its eyes just taking its first breath mm -hmm. but yeah definitely that face hugger is ready to go mm -hmm. the moment it comes out of that egg it has it must have a very short lifespan too when i think about it like yes it only lives for long enough to pass life into a human body but it does it very well <laughs> um yeah all right so those were our creechy award winners and you know, this is the time of the show where we had traditionally done a segment that Matt that was near and dear to Madrin's heart, <laughs> which is uh, with my dying breath. But today, uh, with our dying breath, is getting another uh, facelift. Uh, you know, since we're on the topic of uh, face huggers, into Hugging its faces. own um, new uh, iteration, which is called the Creechy Coffee Break. Um, now, this is a new initiative that we're doing here on Monstrology. We've got a new web page, which is our coffee web page. For, for those who don't know, it is a, a fundraising platform or a way for you to, if you like what's on the podcast, you can give us a tip and send us uh, it's increments of $5 to buy a coffee. You just go to www.ko-fi.com slash Monstrology, and that will take you to our um, coffee page, and you can buy us a coffee which goes towards things like um, the Monstrology podcast hosting or um, our recording um, ability, or it goes to giving Madra and I an actual coffee, which we like. Yay, we like coffee. We coffee. Or if it, it keeps growing, we can also use it to lure in more uh, wonderful artists um, who grace us with, with their presence, uh, with their time, and we can uh, quantify their effort. So if you like it- I love uh, that you said lure in a very oh, yeah. monstery type way. Oh, that's Not what we're invite. doing not invite no no lure. we have to be careful we can't invite them all but we could lure them all uh as we learned at last episode we cannot invite some of them over um, that is and we true. Shouldn't. That's very um true. so yeah uh, check that out but this is the official uh creechy coffee break it's going to happen every episode and we talk about um some things that we uh would like to recommend to you so my creechy um coffee break winner this week is coffee uh there is um a coffee shop in toronto called the remarkable bean uh, which I love it is very close to my current workplace. And uh, I got a big bag of coffee ground up for me, a pound of coffee. And I've been drinking that every morning. I got the, um, I think it's called the rocket fuel or jet fuel. It's like an ultra dark coffee. It is very good. Um, and uh, yeah, highly recommend it for our, um, you know, initial uh, coffee break. I thought I'd pitch some coffee. Uh, imagine what would you like to share at our coffee break? Well, I think that once you get your coffee from remarkable bean you should head on over to dufferin grove park oh i have never been there before in my life despite going by it all the time on the dufferin bus when mm -hmm. we were rehearsing in parkdale um i was there yesterday for the first time with some friends and their kids and it is a fantastic park it's very very shady there are a ton of old well-established trees there so it was quite pleasant to be outside all day despite it being like 40 degrees out these days uh they have a splash pad for the kiddos they've got a really nice like old school set of uh, climbing equipment like playground Ooh. equipment 
uh, one of the favorite things, which turns out it looks like it is one of the favorite things of both kids and adults alike, is that at one far end of it, there is just this very long trench of dirt and there are shovels supplied to you so that you can dig in the dirt and dig holes. Or actually, it seems that the activity that most people like to do is that they dig a trench and that there is actually a tap with running water to let you build your own rivers and dams and things like that. So everybody has a great time. Um, there's a stone pizza oven there. Oh, that my friends. Yeah. My friends were telling me that on Friday nights they have these like you can go and buy cool. stone made pizza from this pizza oven that's awesome there's a community garden like it's this whole thriving independent ecosystem right in the middle of this park and then when you're done with the park you can just pop on over to dufferin mall and yeah grab a get everything you need Uh, but don't try to take the bus because it will never come in that area no it does not (laughs) try to ride your bike but you know it's not that far from dufferin station so you can always just get on the subway um great well uh this has been an awesome uh creature feature madrin it's been great digging into the alien franchise with you um yeah i I... it's been a long time since i've done anything alien related so Mm -hmm. this was very nice to do i was very excited to do this episode yeah i love talking about alien um well i think i'm gonna wrap it up because i've been very committed to uh wearing my uh, (laughs) alien sweater uh which is great it's the original poster uh but it's also very hot in the city of toronto so i'm going to uh change layers into something so i don't have any heat stroke uh thank you to everybody for listening um uh, i hope that in the next two weeks until we speak to you again you encounter as many monsters as you would like uh, could be a lot, could be a little. I guess it's your personal preference. And until then, uh, we're signing off from Monstrology. I uh, hope you have a great life and uh, don't die. Bye. Bye. Monstrology is homegrown Canadian content. Co-hosted by Will King and Madrin McCabe, edited and produced by Will King, and distributed on the Podbean platform. As a young hatchling podcast, it means a lot to us if you rate, review, and subscribe to Monstrology on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your monsters are found. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over!